This is the Assumption Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. When dawn breaks, mercies arise. Assumption Church is a Roman Catholic community under the care of the Franciscan Friars Conventual of Our Lady of Angels Province. It is a community of faith which is active in service and its ministries bring the gospel message of peace, reconciliation, and love to Syracuse and all of central New York. Your glory here among us. Great is our hope. So welcome everybody to Tower Talks. And today's topic is on the Eucharist. Um, next slide, here we go. What is the Eucharist? So the Eucharist is uh, a noun to describe something. Uh, what often we consider the Eucharist is the Mass or the liturgy. What we do on Sundays and many of us attend on weekdays. It's the celebration of um, the center, the, as the church says, the summit and source of our faith life. The Eucharist is also what we call the presence of Christ, right? In the Eucharistic presence of Christ. It's the abiding presence of Jesus among us. But Eucharist is also a verb. It's a Greek word, which is evcharisto, which means thank you. It means thanksgiving. In, in modern day Greek, Greek evcharisto means uh, thank you. So the Eucharist is a thanksgiving. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. It's an act of thanksgiving. And so when we celebrate Eucharist, we are not necessarily celebrating a thing, but a thanksgiving, an action of giving God praise and thanks for what God has done for us. The Eucharist is one of the sacraments of the church. The church has seven sacraments. The sacraments of initiation, are the first sacraments that bring you into the church, make you part of the body of Christ. And those three sacraments that are really connected or originally were celebrated together are the sacraments of baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation. Baptism cleanses you of original sin, Eucharist connects you to the body of Christ, and confirmation seals that gift of the Holy Spirit and the church gives its assent to what has happened. And so when someone is received into the church, one of the biggest moments for them is to share at the table of the Lord, the altar. When we do the uh, baptism of infants, we have the introduction to the church, we have the baptism and everything. The last portion is celebrated at the altar. The family, all of them, or just some parts of the family, are invited to come to the altar. And what I like to do is actually like to put the baby on the altar and remind people that baptism is just one step towards full communion, sharing in the Eucharist. And that's where we get the sense of, of Eucharist from in, sense, in terms of communion. We are united as one and so we share co-union with one another. But where does the Eucharist come from? So, in Scripture, we hear Jesus um, celebrates the Passover with his disciples, uh, and in one particular time is the Last Supper, right? And the Last Supper is an important, well, it's probably the most important, it's the, it's the institution of the Eucharist, 
but it's also the key that unlocks the core of our faith. The Last Supper is how we understand the cross. And those three things, the cross, the institution of the Eucharist, and the washing of feet are really one mystery that help us understand our faith. So, the Eucharist, when Jesus breaks bread, what happens when he breaks bread? He takes something that is whole, a nice loaf, and he says, this is me. This is my body with a cup. He says, this is my blood. But he doesn't mean that in a biological sense, right? In the bread are not bones and cartilage and muscle tissue. In the wine are not blood cells. He says, this is me. This is my being. And what does he do to offer it to us? He breaks it, right? Bread cannot be shared unless it's broken first. And wine cannot be had unless it is poured telling us something to understand what he's all about. And then he does the same thing with the washing of feet. He lowers himself as the Lord creator of the universe and washes his disciples' feet. It is unheard of. You know, in any other religion, this is where Christianity is so unique, God is this other being, this powerful creator, which he is, God is the creator. But it's only in Christianity that God lowers himself to be one of us, to be our servants. It is mind-blowing. You know, in other religions, we should be, to think that we have Christ, God, present in our midst, we should be groveling on the ground, right? But we don't, because Jesus said, I am your friend. I'm here to serve you. It doesn't make sense. But through those two actions, he helps us understand his mission, what he's all about. And he helps us understand the mystery of the cross. And basically on the cross, Jesus fulfills his destiny of love. He gives himself totally in love and like a lamb led to the slaughter, he accepts whatever comes. He is faithful to love. He is no masochist though. He does not enjoy suffering. He does not want to die. He has fear. He has doubts. You see in the garden, uh, uh, Mount of Olives in the garden, he questions, God, does this, is this really your will? I'd rather, can we find some other way to do this? Right? He's, even though he is both human, fully human, fully divine, he struggles with his calling. How much more could, you know, would we challenge it, be challenged and kind of threatened by our own destiny at times. So that, that sense of vocation, of the cross being this very, very important time in his life, um, should give us hope. It's supposed to be a message of hope that no matter what, God will be faithful to us. And so what happened on Calvary that where Jesus, the new Adam as he's called, because he's the ultimate opposite of the old Adam. Old Adam was, was, was created in the image and likeness of God, but he chose to take power for himself, right? He and Eve um, were not satisfied to be the creature. They wanted that fruit, that image of control, of power, of knowledge. They wanted to be masters of their own destiny and took control. Jesus, who is God, says, 
I will not take control. I will trust fully in my Father. I will do whatever He asks, even to laying down my life out of love. I will not react. And He heals human history. He is, he is the ultimate healing for a broken humanity. So, through, through the, the Last Supper, we come to understand what the cross is about. It is about breaking your body in gift to another. It's about service in love for another. So what happens at the Eucharist is that we are transported spiritually to Calvary. We become present. There's only one sacrifice. It is the sacrifice of Christ and the cross that happens once. We don't repeat the sacrifice. But spiritually, we are taken to that moment in time. We transcend space and time, and we receive the benefits of that moment. In, in that experience of Eucharist, we get a glimpse, a taste, of that remarkable love that Jesus showed. And it is, when you think of it, again, it's mind-blowing that we can share in such a grace that we are chosen for that. All right, we're good? So how do we do the Eucharist? Because remember, the Eucharist is a verb, ultimately, and we primarily do it in the Eucharistic liturgy. And here we have Pope Francis at the elevation of the chalice. Um, the Eucharist, or the Eucharistic prayer, so the whole Mass is the Eucharist. Within the Mass, so we have the Mass, we have the introductory rite, we have the penitential act, we have the Gloria, we have the Liturgy of the Word, the second part is the Liturgy of the Eucharist, and then there is Communion, right, where we share in Communion, and then the um, Collect Closing Prayer, and we're off. At the heart of the Liturgy of the Eucharist is a prayer called the Eucharistic Prayer. And, and some of them date back to the earliest of times, uh, the earliest Christians, and some were written more recently, but they're all based on very old traditions, very, very traditional texts. And the Eucharistic prayers always contain praise. We re it's Thanksgiving, right? We are grateful to God. We give God thanks and praise for what he has done. And how do we do that? Well, like in the readings, we tell the stories of what has, God has done in the past for his people, and what he's doing for us today. That's what the, what the homily is supposed to do. It's supposed to show us how God was present to God's people in the past, and how does that affect us today? How is God present to us today? The th second thing is anamnesis. Anamnesis is another Greek word that means basically to bring forward or to remember. So when we tell the story of the, oh, wrong picture, of the breaking of the bread, Jesus says, do this in memory of me. When you remember this, I will be present, right? So we tell the story again, and we make, we make present something from the past. The other element of the Eucharist is the epiclesis. Epiclesis is basically calling down the Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and wine to make them holy. So you'll see at one point during the Mass, the priest holds out his hands, and come celebrants who hold out their hands. Their hands are anointed by the chrism, a sign of the Holy Spirit. The priest sends the Holy Spirit onto the bread and wine. 
Now, just back up for a second. Why bread and wine? They're the staples of life, right? In the Latin rite, we use unleavened bread, like the Jews did when they went on their Passover journey. It's a sign of being people on the go. We don't have time to wait for the bread to rise. We're always on the go. We're not home yet. The Eastern part of the Catholic Church and the Orthodox use leavened bread because they say the resurrection has happened. We have found our home. It has happened. We have time to let the bread leaven. Neither one is right or wrong. They're both two different ways of celebrating the Eucharist, but both valid. But more importantly, the bread and wine are kind of the, the staples of life, and they represent our lives. There's a reason why the procession at the beginning of Mass usually starts at the back of the church and walks through the assembly. It's gathering us together. That's why the prayer, the opening prayer, is called the collect. It collects our prayer intentions. The bread and wine also come from within the assembly. Usually there's cash, something attached to it as well, our offering. But the bread and the wine represents our lives. And that's one of the things that's really important uh, to remember, that what is being offered is, is the bread, the wine, but we are offering our lives with Jesus on the cross. We're saying, yes, Jesus, I too will love unconditionally. I will give myself totally to God the Father. It's a pretty boastful thing to say. And St. Paul says it in, in, in his letters, you know, be careful in sharing of the cup and sharing of the bread. Don't do it blas blasphemously. In other words, don't say what you're doing and then not mean it because you're really drinking to your own condemnation. We tell the story of the first Mass, uh, of the first supper, Last Supper, the institution narrative. We pray for our needs, for the, for the needs of the church. You know, we always mention the Pope, the bishop, clergy, religious, different people. And then we share communion, right? Remember how we, during the Mass, after the consecration, towards the end, during the communion rite, we exchange peace. It's not a greeting. It's not a hello, how are you? It's a recognition. Our eyes, like the, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, in the breaking of the bread, we discover Christ's presence, right? Well, we recognize him in our sisters and brothers around us as well. We realize who we truly are. And as I said in past homilies, it's like saying, I see you. I see you for who you are, and I acknowledge you by my side, my sister, my brother in Christ. So we share in communion. Many churches in, in different parts of the world, um, the church invites us to sing while we're going up for communion. The idea of processing, of walking towards the altar and singing, is supposed to symbolize how we're becoming one. Okay, I know an assumption we used to have communion, first class communion and second class communion. People would, at the break of the church, would just go to the break to receive communion. I don't like doing that because I think everybody should come to the altar. And sometimes the journey is long. Well, you know what? The journey is long sometimes to the altar. But everybody deserves to come to the altar of God and to say their amen right there at the altar. We share communion. And in some parts of the world, people stand after communion to, as a symbol of the resurrection, that we're all one. And you, and you see the church go from its knees to everybody standing. And it's a sign of great solidarity. 
And probably the most important part that happens at the Mass is that we're told to get the hell out of there. Mission. Misa S. The Mass is ended. Go. Go. And, and the Roman Rite is bizarre. You know, as, as beautiful as the Roman Rite is, it is very stark at the end. It's like it ends very quickly. Musicians will tell you, because they know this, that there is no closing song at the Mass. There is no gathering game. It's in the States and other parts of the world, we've taken on a bit of a Protestant thing where we have congregational singing and a closing hymn. It's kind of nice, it ends things, but really the closing of the Mass is go. The Mass is done, go and live this. So it's, it's, that's how we, we celebrate the Eucharist. What is it we believe about the Eucharist? Well, as I said to you, um, that to have Eucharist, you have bread and wine, which are, I said, unleavened bread in the Latin rite. And for, in our tradition, that's for validity. It has to be unleavened bread, just flour and water. And some parishes make their own. I've made my own. It's, it's not bad, but in, for, large, for large groups, it's kind of awkward. And they, you get a lot of crumbs. And we'll talk about crumbs in a few seconds. Um, and you have uh, wine, uh, hopefully with no additives or nothing in it. And then the other element is us, right? We are transformed more and more into the body of Christ. Um, there's a, a thing, in, and I'm not good about math or algebra, I don't know what this is, but in algebra, I think it is, you have curves, you know, or what do they call those? Curves? Mm -hmm. You know, and they have one that says, which is an asymptote. In other words, it goes down one axis and goes up the other, eternally grow, growing closer to the axis, but never touches the axis. So that's how we are in the face of God. We are ever becoming divinized. We're always becoming more like God, but we're not God. St. Augustine's famous for saying, when he would give out communion, receive the body of Christ. Become what you receive, receive what you are. Become what you receive, receive what you are. So it's kind of a already and not yet. We are part of the body of Christ. When we share the in communion, it is the body of Christ. We're receiving ourselves. We're, we're, we're intercommunion, right? And if you really want to think of it kind of freaky, it's also everybody in the communion of saints who's dead. So our loved ones, our parents, our family members who have passed away, when we're receiving communion, we have physical contact with them. We have physical contact with Jesus. It is, it, when you think of it, it's, it's so beautiful. That's why I was, at, I was at church in California once for All Souls, and we had communion, and during the communion song, they sang, instead of a normal communion sang, song, they sang the Litany of Saints. And it was like, wow, that's right. The saints are with us in this communion line. We're, we're sharing in one another. Um, and, and the other thing is, we also obviously share, share in the Lord's presence. In terms of presence, what do we believe about presence? The Catholic Church uses the word transubstanti transubstantiation. Um, other theologies talk about transfinalization. There are various philosophical terms. But what it boils down to is that we believe that the, the bread and the wine are really and truly the presence of Christ. Realitaire et veritaire. Really and truly the body of Christ. 
Nothing more, nothing less. What do we mean by the body? We mean by, we mean his resurrected body, right? So this is not the same body of Jesus that walked on the ground. It is the risen body. It means what? Well, this is the body of Christ that appeared in rooms that were locked and was able to get through walls without no explanation. It's also the body that had scars that Thomas was able to touch. It's the body that sometimes people had a hard time recognizing, but it's also the body that could make breakfast for his disciples on the beach and ate with them. So in other words, we have no idea. It's some kind of material presence, and that's what we believe about the resurrection, right? For all of us, we will have materiality, some kind of matter. We will be individual. We will be ourselves, but our bodies will not be in the same form as they are now. It's something unique. That's what we share. So the old stories of sisters telling you, don't bite the host, you'll be making Jesus bleed or you'll hurt Jesus. That was very pious and trying to get the kids to be respectful, but that's not the kind of presence we're talking about. The other thing about Catholics that is very important is that we believe in the permanence of the body and blood of Christ. So in other words, once bread and wine have been transformed through our prayer and through the Eucharist into the presence of Christ, it is permanent. As long as that remains bread or that remains wine, it is the body of Christ. In other traditions where they see it as, let's say, more symbolic, more, uh, yeah, symbolic, um, after the Mass, or after their communion service, it's just bread again. It's just, it's just Eucharist for them, as they understand it, during their service. For us, that's why we reserve the Eucharist. So we always have a little bit of extra hosts that we keep primarily for the care of the sick and the dying, so they can get communion, to strengthen them in healing, or to comfort them as they're dying, and as a source of prayer. So people feel that sometimes they can come and pray before the Blessed Sacrament in the tabernacle and feel a connection, there's something there. Or for adoration. Adoration is a later development, and it's a wonderful thing, it's very powerful, but it's not the, sometimes we, we the, one of the dangers with the Eucharist is that we make it into an object of devotion as opposed to the action that it is for all of us. Any questions, concerns? Okay. And finally, the Eucharist is about Misa Est, Mass is done, go, right? The Eucharist is an action, that's an image from one of the World Youth Days, that is the, uh, the World Youth Day Cross, and people of all ages, of all nationalities who are gathered. Um, that cross was in my church in Toronto, I, I remember holding it and welcoming it, stayed there for two nights. Um, it's such a privilege to have, just a piece of wood, but when you think that it's been all around the world. And that's what Mass to me says to me, that, that we are part of something that is worldwide, universal, that encompasses people of every nation, of every age, and we're on a mission. Uh, the, the purpose of the Eucharist is to empower us for mission, to make us connected to, to Jesus, to God, and to send us forth. And I think that's really one of the biggest challenges of the church today, for us to realize that we are ultimately 
disciples on a mission. Vatican II said that we are uh, the people of God, we are pilgrim people on a journey. And so hopefully, um, as we draw closer to the Lord and the sacraments, it'll empower us for our mission. So that's what I have for tonight. Any questions on the Mass or on the Eucharist? Anything? Yes. So, I guess I've always kind of wondered, this, it, it, and you kind of touched on it, the reason why we use kind of like the, like the dried out, like the, like the smaller post, like communion wafers, is that really, is it, is it partially logistical just because it's like it's easier to distribute or like would there be, would it be a giant affront to God if we were to use unleavened, like baked, but like unleavened bread that's not risen but like would be separate? Because I know that in some non-Catholic churches they actually have bread, unleavened bread, but they actually like tear it apart and hand it out. Um, would that be something that would be permissible on like a regular basis or like special case basis? I don't know. So <laughs> part of it comes down to, like, and I've used uh, real bread. Um, what was the first part of your question? You said something that I, I forgot. Is, is it more of like a logistical? Oh, so it is, it is more logistical, right? Yeah. So when you have 500, 600, 700 people at Mass, the time it takes, and you know, unfortunately, because the Catholic Church is so large and we're used to being in and out of Mass in 55 minutes or less, mm -hmm. uh, and we have parking issues, the time it would, no, but those are real things, right? In most parishes, we're blessed here, we have a small community, we can do a lot more stuff, but if, to break the host, to, to break the bread into um, um, all the pieces would take time. Well, this I wanted to say to you is, is uh, sometimes I tell, I, I joke with kids or with, even with adults, that the greatest leap of faith for Catholics is not that the bread becomes the Eucharist, but that the host is actually bread. <laughs> because it doesn't taste like bread. You know? It tastes like a cracker or dried up bread. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing that's a big issue is that with real bread, you have a lot of crumbs. Mm -hmm. So because we believe in the permanence of the Eucharist, okay. what do you do with all these crumbs? And if, if people who are Eucharistic ministers know the ciborium at the end, if, it's been, if it hasn't been cleaned in a while, you'll have a lot of Jesus dust in the way. Sure. Which... There's a point where if it no longer is visible as bread, it's no, if it doesn't have the form of bread, it's no longer the Eucharist. But that's, I mean, I would always err on the side of caution that sure. way. Um, same thing with the precious blood. If it's diluted to the point it's no longer wine, it's no longer the blood of Christ. So because of the crumbs, because of um, the time it takes to separate, the other thing is, um, real bread can also go moldy very quickly. Mm. And I've had Eucharist go moldy. Mm. It is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. And so that brings out a whole bunch of, of problems. It depends on, on the parish. Like if you have a small community, like at my priesthood ordination, uh, there was a, a very old lady in Toronto. We had a big parish, and it was a big ordination. Um, she baked bread for my ordination. So we had real bread for everybody. And it was wonderful. <clears throat> For a special occasion, you can do it, but it, it's, it takes a lot of preparation. It's doable, yeah. uh, but you just gotta, it would have to be a priority yeah. for your community. Um, 
but yeah, and, and, and there's lots of recipes. I mean, some people cheat a little bit by putting, uh, using um, mineral water, like fizzy water, and it gives it a little bit of <laughs> effervescence, so it rises a little bit. But well, thank you so much to all of the, all of you and to all of our viewers. Hopefully, you've enjoyed this Tao Talks, watching it live or watching it when you have a chance. Um, send us your suggestions for other topics, and we'll see you next time. In you are every day becomes eternity. Thanks for listening to the Assumption Church Podcast. To listen to more episodes, connect with us in our community, or join us for worship, please visit assumptionsyr.org. Light